Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast, and welcome back after our mid-season break. We hope you didn't miss us too much. This week we will be taking a look at stalking once again with two cases from the UK as our focus. We have covered quite a few stalking cases on the show and I don't know about you but I find them really scary because it makes me think of how people can look so normal yet be able to subject another person to a terrifying campaign of hate and bullying and leave someone looking over their shoulder just unable to live a normal life. Yeah, fortunately I've I've never been a victim of stalking but it's really common, it's much more common than you would think and I, I think I saw something on TV or in a magazine recently or a newspaper and it was talking about stalking and it was somebody, I can't remember who it was, somebody who had been the victim of stalking, oh I remember now, Sheila Fogarty from LBC, she's a radio presenter and she'd had this campaign of stalking that went on for years and I think she said something like, most victims of stalking will wait until there's been a hundred separate incidents where the stalker has kind of harassed them before they report it to the yeah. police. I think I've definitely heard statistics in a similar note and that you almost feel like you can't go and say something when it's only been two or three. And yeah, it's something horrendous, like a like hundred. Yeah, I've definitely heard the same. And I think she also talked about that stigma that comes with being a victim of stalking because some people kind of think oh you're not famous enough to have a stalker or you're not famous at all or why would somebody want to stalk you but quite often there's no specific reason it's just somebody that generally is quite mentally unwell that has fixated on somebody there's different reasons it could be the end of a relationship and uh, somebody goes on to stalk their former partner but sometimes it is just random and it's somebody who just fixates on someone else it is. It's just a. It's just an odd. It's an odd topic, and we have covered it a few times. But I just couldn't help myself going back to it again. It doesn't feel like it's ever going to stop. Before we begin with today's episode, let's thank our most recent Patreon supporters. Yes, a huge thank you to Louise Richard, Suzanne Davis, Kat Alcock, Dean Bernard, Jodie Levers, Charlotte Flynn, Rebecca, Amy Taylor, and Tracy Hollin. Thank you to each and every one of you. If you want to join these guys, all you need to do is head to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. And we also wanted to thank, uh, well, we wanted to wish uh, our listener and friend of the show, Ellie, who guest hosted earlier this year, a huge congratulations on her marriage to Oscar. So congratulations to both of you. Both of this week's cases will focus on the largest type of stalking behaviour. So this is described as um, prior intimates by psychiatrists. So Um, You mentioned this previously, Mark. So people who were previously in some form of intimate relationship with their now stalker. There's a really well-regarded book written by Paul Mullen, Michelle Path and Rosemary Purcell of Australian Universities and Institutes in which they research stalking and what sits behind it. So having spent eight years on work with stalking victims in Australia, they identified different stalker and stalking victim types which I found so fascinating to look at. And they described prior intimates as being the largest category, the most common victim profile being a woman who has previously shared an intimate relationship with her usually male stalker. And I thought that was really fascinating. That's the the biggest category. I I guess it it sort of makes sense, doesn't it? Because it's a former partner who just can't necessarily accept the end of a relationship just can't let go yeah can't let go and wants to well probably just fixates and becomes obsessed with former partner and what they're up to so probably an element of 
trying to exercise some control over them to know what they're doing and who they're seeing. So I, I, awful as it sounds, I kind of understand how this happens and, and why people would stalk a former partner. Yeah. Um, so these victims are more likely to be exposed to violence being enacted by their stalker, especially if the stalker had a criminal past. Whereas victims who are who have a date stalker, so an individual who had an intimate relationship with the victim but short-lived, so they maybe went on a couple of dates, those victims are much less likely to experience violence by their stalkers than someone who was in a more serious relationship. And that does make sense as well because there's there's almost more riding on it for that stalker. They've, they can't let go. They can't give it up. And there's more of a relationship behind it. Yeah, I I do understand it. But I think equally, if somebody's had a very brief relationship, I could see that that could turn violent once that relationship comes to an end, however brief it might have been. Uh, Former partner becomes obsessed uh, with girlfriend, for example, and, and yeah, can't accept that it's come to an end, even though it was only maybe a couple of dates. I could see mm. that, that that could still result in a tragic end. And stalking is often described as a form of a close relationship, although obviously it's quite important to point out that this is not in a good way. So one party is not a willing participant in this intense relationship and they would want to end the relationship, but the stalker is the one that wouldn't allow that. Um, so that's kind of the key the main focus that we'll look at. But other stalking victim types are casual acquaintances, friends, stalking of neighbours, and most male stalking victims tend to be a part of this category. That's interesting. It is, isn't it? I just, it's interesting because you just kind of wonder sometimes, I wonder why. <laughs> and it doesn't, it doesn't always, of course it doesn't, it, you know, with this example, for example, you're, you're talking about male stalking victims. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a female that's stalking them. It could be a, another no, male no, stalking not. them. Yeah. Um, but that's really interesting that it can be friends, it can be neighbours, casual acquaintances, people that you've come into contact with very briefly. Uh, that is, yeah, that's fascinating. Any of us can be a victim of this for sure. Um, another victim's type is professional contact. So victims who've been stalked by their patients, clients or students who they've had a professional relationship with. And I found it quite interesting that there are certain professions such as healthcare providers, teachers and lawyers that are at a higher risk for stalking. So then there's workplace contacts as well. So with this category, they kind of stated that the victims, um, the stalkers of these victims tended to visit them in their workplace. So that meant they were either an employer, employee or a customer And then this kind of means that with a stalker coming to their workplace, the victim isn't the only person whose safety is at threat because other people's safety is at threat as well. So then there's obviously famous people like you mentioned before as well. So celebrities, athletes, politicians, anyone really who's classed as famous, um, even if you or I wouldn't think they were, if they're in the public eye, they're at a risk of stalking because the stalker might feel that they know them. And then there's that really unnerving idea of stranger stalkers and victims are typically unaware of how their stalkers began stalking because typically these stalkers form a sense of admiration for their victims from a distance. It's really interesting that whilst stalking is classed as gender neutral behaviour, the majority of stalkers tend to be male, the victims tend to be female and most studies around the world show a kind of 80 to 90% of stalking perpetrators are male. Female stalkers tend to target other women, whereas male stalkers primarily target women. Although, as we saw with Jan Falkowski, who we discussed way back in season one, that's not always the case. Do you remember that episode, Mark? I do. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? It was such a long time ago. And I called him Jan the whole way through. (laughs) Cringe, I remember that. Embarrassing. Terrible. 
And what causes someone to become a stalker? Well, psychologists tend to group stalkers into two categories. So there's the psychotic and the non-psychotic stalkers. Some stalkers have pre-existing psychotic disorders such as delusional disorders, schizoaffective disorder or schizophrenia. However, most stalkers are non-psychotic. This isn't to say that there is no reason for the behaviour. The non-psychotic stalkers may still exhibit disorders such as major depression, adjustment disorder, substance dependence, um, a variety of personality disorders, you know, like antisocial, borderline narcissistic personality disorders. But the non-psychotic stalkers pursuit of victims is primarily an angry, vindictive and focused one, including a projection of blame, obsession, dependency, denial, jealousy. So it's kind of what we were talking about, especially as we know that the main category is these previous intimates. It's people who are driven emotionally like that. So basically, if you have stalked someone and it's not been as a result of feelings of blame or obsession or dependency or jealousy, then it's psychotic and you're psychotic. Probably. Um, Yeah, I think it's totally fair for you to... um, just diagnose people go for it there you go done yeah (laughs) stalking is basically defined as the willful and repeated following watching or harassing of another person and unlike other crimes which usually involve one act stalking is a series of actions that occur over a period of time and although stalking is illegal in most areas of the world some or probably a lot of the actions that contribute to stalking may be or probably are legal so calling someone on the phone or texting them, sending them a gift, sending them an email, gathering information. But these then become illegal when they breach the lines of harassment. So I found this really fascinating. Here in the UK, the law states that the incident only has to happen twice when the harasser should be aware that their behaviour is unacceptable for it to become harassment and to become illegal, which I thought was really interesting. I mean, that's great because that's a a huge amount of protection for victims of stalking. But what is still really sad about it is that a lot of victims of stalking even though they would only have to have two separate incidents will wait until there's been over 100 incidents before they report it to the police and somebody is then charged and it's whether or not the police even pay much attention if you went to them and said two things have happened would the police really have the resources and the time to deal with it for you well yeah true you hear of them not really looking after victims a lot so I I think with this as well there's there's probably I I think things like social media and having a digital footprint and the internet makes it so much easier to stalk people and I know we all joke about it that we're on Facebook stalking somebody or Instagram and we shouldn't really make a joke about it because stalking is really serious and and many times it will result in in somebody's murder but we do use that kind of language, don't we? And we say, oh, you know, I'm having a good stalk of so-and-so. Um, but joking aside, I, th- I think genuine stalkers are using social media platforms, using the internet to really get as much information about their target as they possibly can. So I, th- I think this digital age that we're in makes it easier for a stalker. Yeah, definitely. In 2017, a woman called Justine Reese, who was 46 years old at the time, took her own life after being unable to cope with a six-month campaign of stalking and harassment. Nicholas Allen subjected his former partner Justine, as well as her friends, to a campaign of threats and harassment between September 2016 and February 2017, and sadly this only ended after Justine was found, and she'd left a note in which she said she had run out of fight. 
Nicholas Allen, it later transpired, had numerous previous convictions for offences committed against women dating back to December 1998. So his previous convictions included making threats to kill, headbutting a former partner, breaking a former partner's nose and threatening to set fire to a harassment victim's father's house. Justine and Alan had begun dating in 2015, but she left him in 2016 because of his controlling and coercive behaviour. And you'd hope that poor Justine had been able to get away, but sadly, or though not uncommonly, Alan wasn't willing to let her go. As Justine took refuge at a local women's shelter, Alan took it upon himself to try and hunt her down. He just wasn't willing to accept that she had left him. He made 3,500 attempts to contact Reese. He just wasn't willing to accept that she had left him and he made 3,500 attempts to contact Justine via calls, text and social media messages and he also stalked five of Justine's close friends and family in an attempt to get information about Justine. I I really don't want to make light of this because it's awful but can you imagine three and a half thousand different messages missed oh, calls exactly. like I, yeah. I find it I, fi- I feel like I'm being harassed when I've had 10 whatsapp messages over the course of an hour and I just think I can't bear the thought of actually mm-hmm. reading these and answering them yeah and to have three and a half thousand attempts from this guy I know that is just I mean that is such a deep level of harassment yeah, it really is. It's such an intrusion. It is. That and is so the word. For I'm it. in a couple of group chats where sometimes I'll go back to the group chat after work and there'll be 100, 150 messages. And it is a hassle to read them. And I sometimes just put, look, guys, I, is there anything I really need to know? I yeah, can't and, deal with this. And my, my point, and, and our, that's our point, my yeah, I was going to say the point is that that's those are people that we we know and love. If this was somebody and we want who, to hear from. yeah, if this is someone you feel threatened by, this is just. Yeah, this is a gargantuan scale of of harassment. Alan would visit their homes. He threatened Justine's son. He contacted Justine's employers. And he even falsely accused a family member of serious sexual offences. Alan also breached a non-molestation order, an NMO, which was meant to protect Justine. And it had been put in place in November 2016 after she'd first attempted to take her own life. In the space of a few weeks... Alan broke this NMO three times. Justine was subjected to a barrage of calls and messages, thousands of pieces of unwanted contact that absolutely terrified her from the man who had been abusive and controlling during their relationship, who she just needed to be away from. Alan was arrested by Staffordshire Police on February the 15th, 2017 for breaching a non-molestation order, but was subsequently released without charge And although Justine then challenged this decision under the Victim's Right to Review scheme, she was told on the 21st of February that her application had been unsuccessful. And so Justine was found dead the next day. Oh, God. She literally had that result and then that was it. She said, I just don't have any fight left in me. I can understand it. She's so vulnerable and she's been incredibly mm-hmm. brave with the support of a women's refuge to get out of that relationship and to hide from this guy. And he's tracked her down, he's stalked her and she's reported it to the police. She's done everything she should be doing. And then unfortunately, for, for it might not be the police's fault. It might just be reasons to do with the law that he's released without charge and and she just can't see this ending well, so takes matters into her own hands. 
Nicholas Allen was jailed for 10 years in June 2017 after admitting manslaughter, engaging in coercive or controlling behaviour and stalking. And it was the first time here in the UK that this sentence had been passed in this specific manner, the manslaughter, because she had taken her own life and because of his stalking, coercive and controlling behaviours. So this was like a, a first in UK law. And personally, I think this is absolutely correct. He is definitely the person who caused her death whilst it wasn't at his hand. Yeah, it's unusual, isn't it, for somebody to be charged with manslaughter because somebody has taken their own life. But like you say, it completely makes sense because she's done that as a result of his actions. So Yeah, it's a really hard one to prove. But yeah, yeah, I can imagine that. But it's great to see common sense prevail here because that's what this is. Of course, he was responsible. She would still be alive if it wasn't for him uh, embarking on this campaign of harassment and stalking against her. The IOPC, so the Independent Office for Police Conduct, opened up an investigation and this inquiry concluded that there were errors in the way that the force held the information on Allen and his offending or the fact that how it was searched for on systems meant that officers trying to assess how dangerous Allen was had only a fraction of the information that they needed at their disposal. So the report eventually kind of said that 16 incidents were not linked on the force's systems to previous incidents and of the remainder many were linked to one other incident rather than all of them so if they could have seen everything really tied together it would have been a lot more obvious yeah you almost you almost just want it grouped together so that you can see yeah a timeline of this campaign that he's undertaken against justine um, and the report also said that there were other failings shown. So a mandatory domestic abuse risk assessment was not carried out after six incidents, although it should have been. Um, the fact that Alan wasn't arrested for breaking the NMO in December 2016, amongst other failings as well. And the report said that seven officers and one civilian staff member should receive management action, so including training. And it also stated that one officer, who was by this point retired, could have faced disciplinary proceedings after the failure to arrest Alan after he broke the NMO in December 2016. So the report sort of stated that a number of issues were identified as unsatisfactory performance for officers. There was a failure to record a crime, failure to take appropriate steps following an application for disclosure under the Domestic Violence Disclosure Scheme, a number of failures to complete mandatory risk assessments with Justine, a failure to adequately recognise a breach of an NMO. In relation to the now retired officer, they said, we were of the opinion that there was an indication that an officer may have behaved in a manner which justified the bringing of disciplinary proceedings. This was because they had taken a decision not to arrest the woman's ex-partner when he was in breach of his non-monestation order after assessing that the woman appeared to have gone out willingly with him. Additionally, a number of complaints were raised about the incivility and advice that given that caused evidence to be lost, and this related specifically to this officer. And this is something that's so frustrating, and we see quite a lot, don't we, with stalking and harassment, is, well, she willingly went with him. I knew she you'd pick up on that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so frustrating, and I'm so glad that the report and the investigation picked up on it, because it doesn't matter, he's still... A controlling force? Yeah, I, I think you've got to look at it. I'm really glad that you picked up on that because I, I wanted to as well. I think um, she's not gone willingly. She's a victim of coercive control. 
it's a domestically abusive relationship even if it's come to an end it's it's still a relationship of sorts so you can't say that she's it's a bit like she might have gone out and had fun with him even and and had a nice day but that doesn't mean that he's not harassing and stalking her on other occasions or abusing her um it's annoying isn't it because you get it with you get it with kidnap victims who uh, the police will say we, we've seen some really famous historic cases where uh, women, in particular, children, girls, have been held held captive for two decades, for example, and it's then come to light that they had uh, they would have been able to escape at different times when their uh, abductor has sort of left them unattended in the garden or whatever, and you sort of think, well, no, they're not going to escape. They're not able to because they're trapped in their own head as well. They might technically yeah. be able to kind of jump over the, the fence, but they're brainwashed. There's no way that they, they could have escaped. So it's the same sort of mentality here. And I think that's where the training is probably needed, not just within the police force, but other organisations and, and throughout the general public as well, really. The IOPC believed the failings were primarily systemic. So there have been inconsistencies as to when incidents and crimes were linked on police systems, which made it more difficult for staff and officers to appreciate the nature and the scale of Alan's offending. Um, So whilst it really annoyed me to see that, I can kind of see if this officer had only one other element to the case and then said, well, you did go with him. But I feel like with that, for the inquiry to know that this person should have had disciplinary action, it it clearly was more than that. Um, But I agree with you. I think for people's mindsets to be changed, they also still need to have all the evidence in front of them. So inconsistencies around conducting research and checks when instances reported, all training for staff should be the same and all staff should should be working in the same way. Yeah, and and like we said, the information should be uh, constructed in a timeline, for example, so that it's really clear to see that there's a pattern of behaviour and maybe an escalation of that. And and if that's not, if the systems and the processes don't allow that, then it, it's more difficult for officers to to make the relevant decisions. And I think, unfortunately, you you not that you need this, but you do almost need these high profile incidents where there are subsequent inquiries in order to have these learnings, so that eventually we can get to a point where. It, it is fully understood and this doesn't happen again. But very sadly, I, I think we're still on that journey where there will have to be further inquiries and, and further deaths before uh, before we get to the point where it's fully understood. So Derek Campbell of the IOPC said, it is evident from our investigation that there were potential opportunities for the police to engage more robustly with Mr. Allen. Officers were largely deployed to incidences appropriately, but a failure to cross-reference incidents led to them being treated in isolation and a lost opportunity to recognise the scale of Mr. Allen's offending. The bigger picture of the level of harassment and stalking being perpetrated was not properly seen by police. We took the view that the prevalence of inconsistent practice among call handlers in cross-referencing indicated a training issue for the force rather than a series of unrelated errors by individuals. So I did think that that was a very fair description, but it does go to show that there was a lot for the police to kind of go through next. And there is a really interesting element, we kind of touched on it before, around stalking in general, how gender plays a role in the difference between stalkers and victims. Some psychiatrists have suggested that gender bias may affect how police handle a case of stalking, how the victim copes with the situation, and also how the victim might view their behaviour. 
And within society, we are absolutely getting better, but there's still that idea of a man pursuing a woman in a movie is romantic. It's not. She turned you down for her own reasons. But in the film, he always ends up getting the girl and it's a happy ever after, sending loads of messages, begging for the ex to take you back or to change their mind. That seems to happen in movies and TV too. So it's kind of easy to understand why people think it's okay to do this. We've really had that in our society that doggedly pursuing someone is romantic. And and you can't deny, sometimes it is, and sometimes that's okay. But equally, you can watch films from not even that long ago where a man in pursuit of a woman sends, for example, 100 red roses and she's not interested, then turns up at her place of work. And that's two incidents there, isn't it? That's stalking and that could be reported to the police and a restraining order could be granted. Well, I think, though, I think that it's two of the same type, just not to be, not to be too pedantic, but I think that my understanding of the law is that um, sending two unwanted gifts, for example, right. when the person has already said, I don't want your gifts. Does that make Interesting. sense? Interesting. Yeah, no, that just does make, make more it sense. A bit more yeah. But you but would still get still, that in films. You yeah. could still report this, though, because that's someone turning up at your work and sending you something that you don't want. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've seen this, Mark, but I, everyone knows I love, I love a bit of the Kardashians. But so Kim Kardashian and Kanye West have had a divorce recently, and Kanye West has sent like obscene amounts of flowers and gifts to his ex, Kim. Um, also sent messages to her and her family, threats about her new partner. And this behaviour is not okay. But I personally have seen so many people online where people are saying, do you know what? This is happening to someone like Kim Kardashian. Speak out if you're in this position, because even someone as famous as Kim Kardashian can be a victim of this. Um, I thought that was quite major to see that potentially this might help some of the younger people who are so into her. You, you would hope so, because some people might see it the other way and think, like we've said, that that's romantic or he's trying yeah. to win oh, her wow, back. Got, and like, are I they going to get back together? Like a Jeep full of flowers. And I was like, yeah, nobody's bought me a Jeep full of flowers before. But equally, that's her ex-husband that she's leaving. Yeah. And she's in, I, I think she's in another relationship or she was. Um, and then, yeah, when you talk about well, certainly making threats against a new partner, that's absolutely not acceptable. But sending messages yeah. to her family and to her, yeah. um, again, you, it's so easy to think, well, that's okay. That's okay. That's normal behaviour when a relationship breaks down and one person can't quite accept that. But it isn't. And that's what we need to change as a society. I don't mean us. I just mean we need to kind of change our mindset mm. for uh, for this. And there's also known to be social bias whereby in the UK, Australia and the US, stranger stalking is considered more dangerous than stalking from a former partner. Um, we we know and we've kind of talked about before that that's not the case and the majority of stalking happens with someone who is a previous intimate partner of somebody else in some way or another. But this kind of may have an impact on how police respond to reports because if you tell them that someone I don't even know is stalking me, they may take it more seriously because of just the way that our society is. And when we talk about gender, men tend not to report being victims of stalking. I think it's quite fair to say that this is the case with a number of other crimes. Men tend to report crimes less. And this is another element of our society that I do hope is changing. Well, this is, and I hate to use these words because I'm not like this, but this is that kind of like toxic masculinity, isn't it? And I'm cringing it at is. myself for using man it. Man up. Well, Get, that's it, yeah. yeah. So, Strap on some balls and deal with yeah. it. And it's so wrong. But also if you think of men who are victims of rape, for example, 
Mm-hmm. I, I know that they will be much less likely to report that to the police because yep. because of the embarrassment factor, which is such a shame because you absolutely should not feel embarrassed. But they will be, um, yeah, more embarrassed to to talk about that than than a woman might be who is a victim of rape because we just don't talk about male rape as much. And um, the same with like domestic violence and domestic abuse, yeah. as well. Yeah, that that, you're not man enough that if you're. Or yeah, you're not man oh, enough yeah. if you're a victim of of a crime like that, or if a man is mugged, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say they would be less likely to report that to the police. So that this there's still that awful um, toxic masculinity of men have to be like men, and if they're not, even if it's not of their own volition, well, they need to keep quiet about it. It's it's just awful. I really do hope that society is starting to change because you do see this more and more. But then I, n- I never know if that is my view of society and my small element of society that I'm in seems to be becoming better. And actually, I just don't have certain people in my friendship sphere or something like that. I don't know. So it's it's a really rubbish It is bit, a tough one. It? And also, you don't. I, I don't want to get into the whole men men and women are completely equal because they're not and they're very different and that's like the Mm -hmm, whole point of having two sexes that you can generalize and and women might be more caring than men for example you can say that and that's probably true yeah because it's incredibly rare to have a female serial killer for example yeah that it's just facts yeah it (laughs) is it doesn't mean that you're any less of a man because you were a victim of something yeah we're getting on our high horses. We are, now, yeah, we? yeah. This is kind of more what, what we would talk about on Crime Wave, this kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, some of the other reasons for stalking can be mistaken belief that the other person loves the stalker or that they need rescuing, but this isn't a loving relationship. Some stalkers then use overt or even covert intimidation, threats, and violence, and they really want to frighten their victims. Often there's reported vandalism and property damage or even physical violence towards the victim. I thought it was. Interesting to mention that it's reasonably uncommon, however, to have sexual assaults reported in relation to stalking campaigns. Stalking campaigns tend not to involve sexual violence. As we're talking about this week, intimate partner stalkers are the most dangerous type and the most common. And here in the UK, most stalkers are former partners. Evidence indicates that mental illness facilitated stalking propagated in the media actually accounts for only a small minority of stalking cases. We've definitely spoken before and we've spoken in this episode about how the impact that stalking has on a victim, that awful impact, they often become withdrawn from their social lives and family. They may feel the need to change their job or move house. It's a really isolating ordeal. But it must be all the more isolating when the police don't take your report seriously and leave you feeling that there's nowhere for you to feel safe and no one for you to turn to. Shana Grice was just 18 and had started a new job at a fire alarm firm when she met Michael Lane. He was a mechanic at the same company and he was eight years her senior. Shana had just moved into a new house with two other girls and in a way that probably felt really romantic and exciting at the time, Lane started lavishing her with attention and gifts and Shana broke up with her boyfriend Ashley Cook and began dating Lane in secret. It wasn't long, though, before Shana felt she just needed to break things off. Lane was becoming possessive, his behaviour was volatile, and considering she was just 18 years old, I I really do think this was very brave and very mature of her. But also, it it really hammers home that, and I know, of course, you're an an adult at 18 and you're supposed to know everything, like we were saying when we talked about better help, 
But that's really young, isn't it? To、uh, mm-hmm. be experiencing、really、that level of intensity in a relationship when you've got probably such limited experience of that in terms of what you've experienced yourself and what you've seen friends go through and family. So yeah, it's it's not only brave; it's really astute of her to think this is going in the wrong direction. I need to get out now. Yeah, but as I'm sure you can see where this is going, Lane refused to let her go. He began sending Shana message after message, bombarding her with unwanted contact. On her nineteenth birthday, he sent her flowers. At one point, he put a tracker device on her car, and he even turned up unannounced at the home that she shared with her two friends. Shana had reconciled with her ex Ashley, which of course Lane hated. He even vandalized Ashley's car, and he left a note reading, "Shana will always cheat on you. Happy New Year." Shana called the police in February twenty sixteen, terrified. And the female call handler then phoned Lane and warned him to stay away. But this didn't stop Lane. It wasn't enough to make him realise. He then turned up at Shana's house with her two flatmates after an office party just a month later. And when Shana fled, he followed her, tried to grab her mobile phone, and in kind of grabbing her phone and her, he pulled her hair and he hit her. Terrified, Shana ran to Ashley's house and she phoned the police once again. But it was at this point that things kind of went really wrong for Shana. So a PC called PC Godfrey interviewed her in front of Ashley and his parents, which is a breach of guidelines. And Shana didn't mention that she had been in a relationship and seeing Lane previously. She may have felt more able to if she'd been interviewed alone, which is the correct procedure. But in front of her partner and his parents, she didn't want to admit to this secret relationship. No, no, completely understandable. She's done nothing wrong.、Mm-hmm. But you're you're not going to want to have that conversation in front of partner that you reconciled with and his family. Yeah, and PC Godfrey then went and spoke to Lane, who told the told him that the pair were in a relationship and kind of backed his story up with messages and showing him his phone. So because of Shana's lie, which is absolutely in inverted commas here, she was fined ninety pounds for wasting police time. And PC Godfrey claimed that the complaint was a smokescreen to disguise her affair. The police saw the incident as a lover's tiff and stereotyped Shana as a woman having a secret affair. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? So, of course, this isn't the case at all. And of course, Lane didn't stop his harassment of Shana. So the fine had dented her confidence. Um, it made her feel like she shouldn't go back to the police, even though Lane was continuing his stalking campaign. She ended up quitting her job. Friends said that she just her confidence just plummeted, and especially that fine made her feel, "Well, am I in the wrong?" Well, you would, and it's almost a bit like being told off, isn't it? And she's not that old; she's nineteen at this point. So, yeah, you, especially when it's the authorities saying、mm-hmm. you've done something wrong, you're in the wrong. You're going to be treading on eggshells. Um, since then, and what we see so much when you talked about Shana quitting her job, and you've alluded to this throughout the episode, it's always the victim that is taking steps to bring to an end this campaign of stalking, isn't it? So the quite dramatic yeah. changes yeah. that they're making within their own life in order to get away from their stalker. So quitting job, moving perhaps to a different town,、uh, whatever it might be, they're they're doing these major things to bring it to an end, which they absolutely shouldn't have to do. And it kind of reminds me when we talk about. Female victims.、Um, when we covered Sarah Everard, for example, and there was so much talk at the time about 
um, women need to be really careful when, when they're walking home alone in the dark and they should carry a rape alarm or whatever. And it's kind of like, well, they shouldn't really fucking have to do that. We shouldn't have to turn the street lights on. They should just be able to walk home in the dark in a country like this and be safe and to not be in fear of being attacked or raped or murdered. Yeah. And it does get worse. In July 2016, Lane stole Shana's backdoor key and then crept into the house in the middle of the night. He thought she was sleeping, but she was awake and she was kind of hiding under the duvet. So, I mean, I just can't even imagine the terror that went through her. And he'd continued to kind of message and call her. And she actually recorded one of the many terrifying phone calls from Lane, during which he said, I wanted to see you and I knew you wouldn't let me in. I'm just not right in the head, otherwise I wouldn't do it. So she bravely did take this recording to the police, but Lane was let off with another caution. The next day, Shana received heavy breathing calls from an unlisted number, which she also reported, and she told the police that she was scared, and frustratingly, she was told that she was a low risk. So two days later, Shana told the police that Lane was following her, but instead of following up on the report terrified Shana received a letter saying no further action would be taken and the case was closed. So over the six-month period, Shana had reported Lane to the police on five occasions. And like you said before, those are five occasions in the middle of millions of things that were going on. She didn't report him every single time she got one single phone call. She'd received numerous and then managed to record one. On the 25th of August, Lane broke into Shana's house again, but this time he was armed with a can of petrol and a knife. He walked into her bedroom, he slashed her throat before dousing her body in petrol and setting it alight. Lane was arrested within hours, but he denied killing Shana and the evidence absolutely stacked up against him. However, so CCTV evidence proved that he'd been at her house, his trainers were found in a hedgerow nearby covered in blood, the police found a tracker on Shana's car that connected to his phone. And in March 2017, Michael Lane, who was then 27, was jailed for life with a minimum term of 25 years for Shana's murder. I just... He's already broken into her house once and she's classed as low risk and then this happens. Yeah, for me as well. Again, we I always do it and torture myself thinking of her final moments. Was she awake? Did she hear him come up the stairs? Did she think, God, he's in my house again? Was she terrified? Did she see the knife? Was she still alive after her throat had been slashed? And was she conscious when she was being doused in petrol knowing what was to come? And then set alight. It's just it's it's just a gruesome murder. Yeah, it's just just horrible. During the sentencing, the judge, Mr Justice Green, criticized Sussex Police, saying, Tragically, when Shana sought help from the police, she received none. Michael Lane felt that if he continued with his obsessive stalking behaviour, it was most unlikely that the police would do anything to stop him. And Tom Milsom from the Independent Office of Police Conduct, the IOPC, said Sussex Police didn't understand the difference between a spat between two individuals and harassing behaviour. So he said that Shana was failed. He said, you really need to listen to the victim and I don't think that happened to Shana. She was let down. So two PCs, including PC Godfrey that I mentioned before, were found guilty. So PC Godfrey of misconduct and PC Milne of gross misconduct in relation to Shana's case. Mm. And Shana's family told the press that she they believed that her murder could have been prevented if officers had listened to her fears about Lane. 
Her mum said in a victim impact statement read on her behalf, we brought Shana up to respect authority and to always respect the law. We firmly believe her murder could have been prevented if her fears had been listened to and taken seriously by the police. Um, yeah, it's unusual for me not to have a positive or happy ending, Mark, I'm afraid, but I I really couldn't find one with this. It was just so, so sad. I just felt like the only thing to kind of do at the end of the episode was just to remember Shana and remember Justine and their loved ones, mm. but I just couldn't find a, a nicer, light-hearted way to finish. No, I was thinking as... Uh, I knew, obviously, the, the episode was coming to a close, and I, I just thought this is just so upsetting and so sad and there really is no the only positive really could be that change will happen and and take place in time but what a price to pay for that and yeah this Mm -hmm. is just it's left me feeling really flat yeah sorry everybody because I imagine it has for you too and it, it did for me writing this I'll be honest but hopefully, I mean, hopefully some of the, the key facts and stuff from this episode, if somebody, God forbid, finds themselves in a position where they have unwanted behaviour, they may feel more empowered to be able to report this or something. I don't know. Maybe there could be some positive come out of this. And maybe we will see some changes in the systemic kind of practices within the police and reporting mm. that would be a good thing. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And we will see you again next week. See you then, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.